Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Here are today's top stories. The nation's largest Memorial Day parade. We have the latest on how hundreds of thousands are coming together to honor those who sacrificed for freedom. For Memorial Day, we'll also speak with a man who humbly spreads the patriotic spirit in his community in Florida. With the deal on the debt limit reached, we take a look at some analysis and criticism, including one senator calling China the winner in the agreed defense budget. A building in Iowa suddenly collapsed on Sunday. Authorities say eight people have been rescued, but the cause is still unknown. It's Memorial Day, and the nation's largest Memorial Day parade to honor the fallen is set to begin in just two hours. Joining us now live on Constitution Avenue is NTD's Iris Tao. Iris, how's it going over there? Good afternoon, Chris. So the parade is set to begin at 2 p.m. Eastern time here in the nation's capital, and people are already getting started to prepare for this very big celebration. So organizers tell us that this National Memorial Day parade will have hundreds of thousands of spectators along the National Mall, and this event will be broadcast live on TV, including on NTD television to many more around the country. And this parade will be seeing marching bands and veteran units from each of the 50 states around the country and veterans here will be including those who have fought in World War II, including Vietnam War, Korean War, as well as in the liberation of Iraq and Afghanistan. So a lot to watch here. And the big highlight of the parade this year will be it's actually the Grand Marshals, which will be the um, astronauts from NASA's Apollo programs, the moonwalkers of America. And they're coming as NASA is preparing for its next generation of moonwalkers through its Artemis program. And so this parade will also be featuring a lot of balloons and floats as well as performances as you can probably hear right behind me right there. So we will be bringing the latest in NTD television's live broadcast of this parade to begin in less than an hour featuring the opening speeches. Chris. Thank you, Iris. In every community, it's possible to step up to make a positive difference. In Delray Beach, Florida, Scott Wheeler takes the initiative to spread Memorial Day spirit. I spoke with the retired airman earlier today about the patriotic contribution he makes in his neighborhood every year. Scott Wheeler, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. Scott, you do a unique patriotic activity in your community. Can you tell us about that? Yes, sir. Uh, about 10 years ago, I decided I wanted to put some flags out in my yard for Memorial Day, and then I decided to by 400 flags, which would represent every house in our neighborhood and put one in everyone's yard. Um, started 10 years ago and I just haven't stopped. What has the response to that been in the community? It's been fantastic. I've had a lot of people through the years use the flags that I've given them in the past and they'd be out in their yard when I came through a second or third or fourth time. And I got to meet a lot of my new neighbors that, that have moved into the area. So do you give them the flag to keep? Yes, sir, I do. I, I buy 400 a year and I put them in everybody's yard and um, they, they have a tendency to keep them and sometimes use them again the next year. Wow, that's, that's quite the awesome contribution. Um, <clears throat> you know, just moving along, you're, you're, both your grandfathers, um, your father, you and your brother are military veterans. What does Memorial, mean, Memorial Day mean to you and your family? 
Well, it just means that everybody gave just a little bit of the time in their life in order to fight for our freedom. Um, not everybody stays in for 20 years. I joined and I only stayed in for four years and it was a great experience. So what do you say to the young man or woman who's considering joining the, joining the military right now, but they're kind of on the fence? What do you say to that person? Well, that's a good question. I was on the fence also, being 18 years old in high school, having a few college acceptance letters, and I just decided to go into the military. I, I wasn't quite prepared for the world yet, and I went in at 18. It was a good time, and I learned a great deal. And when I came out, I felt like I was an adult and ready to move forward. So you feel like it gives you a, a great foundation for the rest of your life? Absolutely. It, it really gives you an idea that, you know, the whole life you're growing up and your parents are telling you how special you are. Well, as soon as you join the military, you find out real quick that life isn't fair and you've got to work hard. Well, Scott Wheeler, thank you for your service and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Saturday reached a tentative deal to avert a default on U.S. debt. Now the pair is tasked with getting it through Congress. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on analysis of the agreement and opposition to it. President Biden spoke on Sunday about the bipartisan debt deal. The agreement prevents the worst possible crisis, a default for the first time in our nation's history. Biden says the agreement took the threat of catastrophic default off the table. Professor Sarah Binder said the deal is relatively small but gets the job done. She says it raises the debt limit and there is a slight cutback in federal spending. You might think that perhaps President Biden sort of dodged a bullet here. Binder says the spin from the package from the Democrats' perspective is that it might have been a lot worse. I think it's easier for Republicans to claim that they've curtailed Democratic ambitions even though they haven't done it very much. McCarthy and Biden will now be under pressure to get the agreement signed into law before time runs out. The deal would also claw back unused COVID funds, speed up the permitting process for some energy projects, and include some extra work requirements for food aid program recipients. Congressman Matt Rosendale signaled Sunday he would vote against the debt ceiling deal. The Republican dubbed the proposal the Fiscal Irresponsibility Act. He lambasted it for failing to put a damper on federal spending. Rosendale said, It is frankly an insult to the American people to support a piece of legislation that continues to put our country's financial future at risk. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham criticized the defense budget under the deal on Fox News for not increasing defense spending above inflation. The biggest winner of the Biden defense budget is China because they'll have a, small, a bigger Navy. Graham says the overmatch with China is real and the new budget makes it even worse for the U.S. Graham also addressed China while visiting Ukraine on Friday. According to the senator, if the U.S. fails to back Ukraine enough in the war against Russia, that would send a signal to China that it could take Taiwan. What I want the Chinese to see is that invading a neighbor is not as easy as it looks. A hard line toward China is one of the few policies with bipartisan support in the deeply divided U.S. Congress. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. An apartment building collapsed in Davenport, Iowa over the weekend. Authorities say eight people were rescued overnight. Video shows the moments right after the collapse with part of the six-story building turned to rubble. Authorities didn't say if anyone died in the accident, 
or how many people might still be trapped. Davenport's mayor said the focus is currently on rescue. He said construction was underway on the exterior of the building at the time. The cause of the collapse isn't yet officially known, but gas leaks and water seepage are possible factors. South Dakota's governor has challenged public universities in her state to step away from so-called woke ideology. She wants them to instead focus on quality of education. Governor Kristi Noem told the Higher Education Board it should ban campus drag shows, remove mandates that compel the use of preferred pronouns, and end monetary influence from the Chinese Communist Party. Instead, she wants the Education Board to raise graduation rates across the six universities to 65%. The current graduation rate is 47%, which is below the national average of 63%. Noam says higher education across the country is in a state of crisis because ideology that stifles free speech and diversity of ideas. Noam says her administration has created a new whistleblower hotline where students faculty, parents, and taxpayers can report concerns about institutions of higher education. State farm insurance will no longer offer new insurance policies on California properties. The firm is fighting the pressures of inflation, as well as the state's ever-increasing wildfire risks. The company says it will still serve existing customers and that the decision does not affect car insurance. Several insurers are scaling down their offerings to California homeowners over wildfire worries, most of the cutbacks have taken place in regions more prone to the danger. Last year, AIG told high net worth clients the company would stop renewing their policies. The American Property Casualty Insurance Association blames inflation. It says inflation makes every aspect of insurance claims costlier. The California Department of Insurance says it's working with insurers to improve the insurance market. Still to come, Americans are worried about AI's potential threat to mankind, according to a new poll. Some experts are sounding the alarm. Social media and AI algorithms, can these be used for good? We speak with an expert about the impacts on minors and what a positive social media space looks like. That and more when we return. Welcome back. The majority of Americans are worried that artificial intelligence could pose an existential threat to civilization. This comes as AI is rapidly developing. Here's more. A majority of Americans say the rapid advancement of artificial intelligence technology could put the future of humanity at risk. That's according to a poll by market research firm Ipsos and Reuters. The poll also shows more than two-thirds of Americans are concerned about the negative effects of AI. Here's Ipsos pollster Clifford Young. Overall, Americans are concerned, a vast majority of Americans are concerned about AI. Uh, we asked specifically about the existential uh, nature of humanity. Will AI impact that? And 61% of Americans agree that it will. AI chatbot ChatGPT has become the fastest growing app of all time. It kicked off an AI arms race. AI's rapidly developing capabilities have some researchers sounding the alarm. Widely known as one of the godfathers of AI, computer scientist Jeffrey Hinton speaks out on its risks. Um, I suddenly realized that maybe the computer models we have now are actually better than the brain. And if that's the case, 
then maybe quite soon they'll be better than us. So that the idea of superintelligence, instead of being something in the distant future, might come much sooner than I expected. Hinton is now among a growing number of tech leaders publicly warning about the risk that AI machines will achieve greater intelligence than humans and potentially pose a threat to humanity. He compares the danger to the threat posed by the advent of nuclear weapons in the mid-20th century. OpenAI CEO Samuel Altman has previously indicated he supports government regulation of AI or guardrails to protect the public from potential harm. The Ipsos and Reuters poll also shows that the American public favors government oversight of AI. It's not just AI. Social media is also coming under fire, especially for the dangers it poses to the mental health of minors. I wanted to explore this important topic further, so I spoke with Nick Janicki, Director of Media Relations for Ganjing World. This new video sharing platform says it's free from violent, erotic, criminal, and harmful content. Nick Janicki, thank you for joining us. Of course, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Chris. How is social media impacting the mental health of young adults and children in America? Wow, that is a very broad question. Uh, and the answer, I think, is actually frightening or could be considered frightening. So when you look at uh, how uh, much time children in particular spend on social media, depending on the report, you're looking at three upwards of eight hours a day on video platforms, on social media, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, whatever it might be, you're finding a lot of issues specific to a couple different things. One is what we're calling the addiction loop, which is the inherent nature of technology has a tendency to actually hijack your dopamine response and use that to create an addiction loop. So the more negative things you, you watch and interact with, the more that's going to be fed to you, which obviously you can see that could be quite dangerous. Wow, that's pretty scary. What can parents do to protect their kids from this kind of stuff? You know, I've been uh, reframing the birds and the bees talk for social media. And so uh, what I mean by that is I have a nine-year-old daughter and anybody that has children that are approaching the teenage years, I think it's really important to have a real serious sit-down conversation with your children and just let them know these things are designed uh, in a way, not necessarily to manipulate you, but they are designed to reinforce what you're looking at. So it's up to you as an individual, as a parent, to teach your uh, children things about intention, about character development, and about purpose. So the idea is, what is the purpose of going on social media, right? And then ignore the things that aren't contributing to that larger purpose, right? And then focus on the things that are. You mentioned algorithms. You know, artificial intelligence is making its way through the headlines right now. How is that playing a role in all of this? Really great question. There's a Stanford professor, his name is BJ Fogg, and he said the opposite, the opposite of addiction is connection. So the idea is Facebook's full purpose for coming out was to connect more people together. But what ends up happening is you start getting into polarized group, you start getting into groupthink, so all of these algorithms, the AI, if you will, the artificial intelligence, has to kind of be trained to sort of undo some of that. But part of that is our own responsibility on how we interact, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You're the spokesperson for Ganjing World. Can you tell us about how your company is different from other social media platforms? 
Of course. So Ganjing simply means clean. And so the idea here is a clean world, a clean platform. And basically, the easiest way to think about this, it's a platform that's G-rated. So that means it's free from erotic, harmful, violent, or criminal behavior. The entire platform is free of this. And our mission is to essentially empower people through technology to reconnect to traditional values and divine culture in daily life. So that mission is essentially what's fueling the, the algorithms and what's fueling the entire platform. So parents can feel safe knowing that you know kids can come to this platform, uh, it's freely available to use, to interact and watch videos. The really cool thing here, Chris, is you don't even have to log in. So you don't even have to create an account to just use the platform and consume it. The only time you even have to log in is if you want to comment or create your own content. And how can people access the platform? Sure. If you just go to Ganjing, that's G-A-N-J-I-N-G.com, uh, you'll find it. There's also an iPhone app and an Android app, uh, which I prefer to use uh, the apps myself. So if you have a cell phone, it's an easy way to access it. Nick Janicki, spokesperson for Ganjing World, thank you. Of course, thank you, it's my pleasure. Analysis shows that Fox News lost around 1 million viewers for its primetime show lineup. The drop comes after the network released popular host Tucker Carlson. Carlson left in late April, and analysis by Mediaite shows in the four weeks before his departure, Fox News primetime hours averaged about 2.6 million viewers. But in the four weeks after his departure, primetime viewers dropped by about 1 million, a 39% decline. The 8 p.m. hour that Carlson used to hold also declined dramatically. Carlson averaged about 3.2 million viewers in the weeks before he left. The replacement show, Fox News Tonight, is down to 1.5 million viewers on average. Earlier this month, a Fox News spokesperson responded to the ratings drops, saying the network is still the number one cable news channel. Neither the network nor Carlson have spoken openly about why Carlson left. Coming up, Kyiv responds to allegations surrounding Beijing's special envoy and reports that China wants to split the West. And a giant Chinese battery factory in Hungary has sparked protests among local residents. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Russia launched two air attacks on Kyiv today. Ukraine said ballistic and cruise missiles were used in the attacks. Explosions rang out across Kyiv this morning as Russia launched its 16th air attack on the Ukrainian capital this month. Panicked residents rushed for cover when the sky filled with smoke trails and blast clouds. Some of them initially ignored the air raid siren as they ate breakfast in cafes. Authorities said all 11 Russian cruise and ballistic metals, missiles were shot down, but one person was taken to a hospital. Heavy airstrikes about six hours earlier had targeted the capital and caused a fire in the Black Sea port of Odessa. Russia said its military had hit Ukrainian air bases in overnight strikes, and Ukrainian forces had shelled industrial facilities inside Russia. Ukraine said work was underway to restore a runway at military target and that five aircraft were taken out of service. Chinese envoy Li Hui wrapped up his European tour last week, trying to broker a peace deal in Ukraine. 
He allegedly called on the West to recognize Russia's claims to occupied territories in Ukraine. Kiev's foreign minister has responded to that allegation. Here's the story. In a video posted on Facebook, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba denied a Wall Street Journal report on Li Hui's alleged peace mission. The article called out Beijing for trying to split the West. It claimed during his European tour, Li urged U.S. allies to cease fire and to leave Russia in possession of occupied Ukrainian territory. Kuleba said the countries Li visited denied having held such negotiations. He said Kyiv sees China as an important interlocutor, but stressed that Ukraine isn't considering moves for territorial concessions. Beijing claims it seeks a neutral stance and a so-called political settlement in the Ukraine conflict. But its envoy, Li Hui, received lukewarm receptions in Poland, France, and Germany. A German newspaper cast doubt on Beijing's motives, calling Li's trip a diplomatic showcase. And another national German newspaper said China aimed to demonstrate its presence as a world power. Li himself bears close ties to Moscow, having served as China's ambassador to Russia for a decade. Before he left office in 2019, Russian President Vladimir Putin awarded him the Order of Friendship. In the last stop of his European trip, Li met with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov last Friday. Lavrov noted there would be serious obstacles in resuming peace talks with Kyiv. A sprawling Chinese battery factory in rural Hungary has sparked protests. While the government sees it as a chance to make the country a global hub for battery manufacturing, residents worry it will worsen environmental issues. Bulldozers and excavators are mobilizing near a village in eastern Hungary. They are preparing the land for the construction of a nearly 550-acre Chinese electric vehicle battery plant. Residents worry that the factory will worsen existing environmental problems. Pouring concrete over nature while we know how polluting the factory is going to be? Is this the green future? For whom? I'm sure not for us. Local residents say they were blindsided by the announcement that the factory would be built on agricultural land. The industrial park is expected to use twice the amount of drinking water consumed in the region. Activists say this will add a major burden on the water supply in the midst of a historic water crisis. If factories already have a permit to use drinking water, why would they use polluted water? There are so many questions that we have asked, but we only get meaningless answers. The $8 billion factory will be one of Hungary's largest ever foreign investments. The government hopes it will make the Central European country a global hub of lithium-iron battery manufacturing. Modern Chinese investments have a huge role to play in keeping the Hungarian economy on a growth path. That's why we will continue to encourage Chinese investment in Hungary. The factory is expected to create around 9,000 jobs. But the president of the Hungarian parliament's Committee on Sustainable Development warns that this plant will only increase the country's vulnerability. These are essentially assembly plants, and they take the profits away from here. It's also typical that they do not give work to Hungarian people, not to the local people, but to foreign guest workers, while at the same time they bring the risk of pollution here. An environmental expert says there has been a lack of environmental impact studies on the longer-term consequences of the plant for Hungary's air, soil and water. A comprehensive large-scale environmental assessment would be needed and its results should be consulted with society. Unfortunately, this has not happened. South Korea is hosting its first summit with Pacific Island leaders. The meeting comes amid concerns over Beijing's influence in the region. 
I hope that South Korea and the Pacific Islands, which are on the same boat in the vast sea of the Pacific Ocean, will sail vigorously for our joint prosperity. Cook Islands Prime Minister Mark Brown is the chair of the 18-member Pacific Islands Forum. He said challenges facing the region are vast and complex. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol launched his administration's Indo-Pacific strategy last year. He pledged to promote a free, peaceful, and prosperous region on a rules-based order. That's amid China's aggression in the strategic waters and its economic leverage of small island states. Yun also emphasized trilateral cooperation with Australia and the United States. If you'd like us to cover something specific, or if you just have some general feedback, please email us at news.today at ntd.com. When we come back, the results are out for the big election in Turkey. The nation's longtime leader wins, extending his rule into a third decade. Find out what it means for Turkey and its allies. And does a new international treaty addressing a potential future pandemic pose a threat to state sovereignty and individual freedom? We hear from protesters near a WHO meeting in Switzerland. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan claimed victory in Turkey's presidential election yesterday, extending his rule into a third decade. His opponent called the vote the most unfair election in years. Here's the story. Tayyip Erdogan is staying on as president of Turkey after winning the runoff presidential election on Sunday with just over 52 percent of the vote. It was seen as the toughest political challenge yet to his increasingly authoritarian rule now set to enter its third decade. Speaking to supporters outside his home in Istanbul before the final results were released, he said Turkey is the only winner today. Thousands of jubilant Erdogan supporters celebrated in Turkey's streets. We are very happy. We think Erdogan deserved to win. That was what had to happen. There couldn't have been another leader in this country. Russian President Vladimir Putin congratulated his, quote, dear friend on his victory. The election was seen as one of the most consequential yet for Turkey. The opposition believed it had a strong chance of unseating Erdogan after his popularity was hit by a cost-of-living crisis. Challenger Kamal Kılıçdaroğlu called it the most unfair election in years, but did not dispute the outcome. Erdogan, who is the head of the Islamist-rooted AK party, appeal to voters with nationalist and conservative rhetoric. His record includes having redrawn domestic, economic, security and foreign policy in the NATO member country of 85 million people. The prospect of five more years of his rule is a major blow to opponents who accuse him of undermining democracy as he has amassed even more power, a charge he denies. The WHO is warning a new pandemic is about to emerge as member states debate a new legally binding global treaty. Hundreds of demonstrators over the weekend in Switzerland protested the pact, calling it a threat to the sovereignty of nations. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the story. The COVID pandemic is over, but the WHO says it's time to prepare for the next one. Health ministers of member states gathering in Geneva, Switzerland, 
are currently debating 300 new amendments for a new global health treaty. The pandemic accord would set the guidelines on how to tackle a new worldwide health emergency. The legally binding agreement aims to address what the UN agency calls the catastrophic failure of the international community to fight COVID-19 fairly around the world. Demonstrators showed up over the weekend near the venue to protest the WHO's plans. It's a power grab by the WHO, a form of control over member states. These new international health regulations containing 300 amendments and a second agreement, a new pandemic treaty will overlap a great deal with existing international health regulations. Above all, it is a serious attack on the sovereignty of states and the individual freedom of individuals. This is extremely serious. Private companies such as McKinsey, who played a key role in the COVID vaccine rollout in France, also attend the meeting. A clause in an earlier draft obliging pharmaceutical companies to make details of their deals with governments public appears to have been dropped. We also have reason to be concerned about the fact that there are a lot of private sponsors involved with the WHO. As it turns out, these are people and companies who are involved in everything to do with drugs and vaccines. As a result, the WHO is going to be completely taken over by its funders and will no longer be able to defend the health of the population properly. WHO's Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus said reforms shouldn't be delayed to prepare for the next pandemic. The WHO is going to dictate certain measures and the member states are going to have to pay for these measures. So here again, in terms of the economy, a country no longer has any control over its own affairs. And in terms of a country's culture and values, it's catastrophic. It's going to be the same measures everywhere. The pandemic treaty is expected to come in force by the next year. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Twitter owner Elon Musk leaves European Union officials upset after he pulls Twitter out of Europe's social media regulation scheme. It's something critics say is a censorship regime. The EU's internal market commissioner wrote that Twitter will now face some legal liabilities. An EU official told Euroactive that the European bloc was waiting for this and it was purely a matter of time. There are 19 companies currently subject to Digital Services Act rules, which are supposed to combat disinformation. Violations could be punished with fines of up to 6% of a company's annual revenue. A Danish historian warned about the Digital Services Act in late 2022. He wrote in the Los Angeles Times that the rules are, quote, likely to result in serious collateral damage to free expression across the EU and elsewhere else legislators are trying to emulate it. Italian police in Venice are investigating the source of a green liquid patch. It appeared Sunday in the city's central Grand Canal. Italy's fire brigade said water in the main canal turned fluorescent green before flowing into a lagoon and coloring parts of that too. The local environmental agency received samples of the water and is working to identify what substances may have caused the color to change. The incident is similar to protests by environmental groups that have colored monuments calling for an end to state subsidies of fossil fuel. Activists recently used vegetable charcoal to blacken the water in Rome's Trevi Fountain. However, no one has claimed responsibility for the green colored water in Venice. In the UK, as households move towards using heat pumps instead of natural gas furnaces for heating, the electric grid is put under extra pressure. 
but an expert says the country isn't ready to meet the demand. More on this from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. The UK government is promoting the installation of heat pumps to replace natural gas furnaces. It has set a target of installing 600,000 per year by 2028. Heat pumps, which run on electricity, are considered more energy efficient than heating with natural gas. There are concerns their mass rollout would burden the electric grid too much and may lead to blackouts. Harry Wilkinson, head of policy for Net Zero Watch, says the UK isn't prepared for the shift. Especially when you consider the fact that many of our nuclear power stations are closing um, in the coming decade. Uh, it really seems that the, you know, the country isn't um, ready yet to, uh, to, to be able to cope with that increased demand. Over 40% of the UK's electricity last year came from fossil fuels, mostly natural gas. 35% came from renewables and 15% from nuclear. However, wind and solar are not reliable. That's right. I mean, when, when the wind isn't blowing, we would need to be powering those heat pumps uh, with, with gas or with whatever backup services were available. He says the government wants to make use of hydrogen as a backup energy supply. But Wilkinson adds this relies on such technologies being developed and working well. So, you know, they're, they're taking risk upon risk upon risk. Um, and this can only inevitably lead to higher costs uh, in the system. The UK government has also spent tens of billions of dollars subsidising energy bills for businesses and households over the winter. And to avoid blackouts, the energy companies have paid people not to use electricity. All this drives up costs. Wilkinson says the government needs to think long term and prioritise affordability. And he suggests focusing on stable energy sources like nuclear. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News. Bird flu outbreaks in the last two winters have pushed up egg prices. Scientists in the UK say despite the coming of summer, the disease shows no sign of going away. However, they say the virus is not at the stage where it can spread between humans. The UK's agency in charge of animal health says cases of bird flu are continuing to rise despite the approach of summer, and that's much the same for Europe as a whole. The scientist at the Animal and Plant Health Agency in charge of the Influenza Work Group says since October of last year, 12 different strains of H5N1 have been circulating in wild birds in the UK. Because we're not picking up every dead wild bird, we're not testing every dead wild bird, and so we're not getting genetic characterization across the whole piece. So we're only seeing a snapshot of what the virus is doing in nature. This animated graphic shows the rapid spread of bird flu across the UK in recent years. The agency's head of virology admits there have been mutations in the virus, but the spread of the disease in mammals is low. This virus is still essentially a virus that wants to be in a bird. It's optimised to infect and spread amongst birds. That means it doesn't carry the same level of uh, characteristic for, for people. It actually doesn't want to be in people. Brown says almost all the mammals that died from bird flu were those that lived very closely to wild birds and preyed and fed on sick and dead birds. So the extremely large quantity of virus, because a sick or dead wild bird has lots of virus in its body organs, so they become exposed to an exceptional dose, as we say. This is how the bird flu virus looks under a microscope. Brown said bird flu is not at the stage where it can easily mutate into a disease that can be spread between humans. Until now, infections between humans have been mostly among people who work with birds, 
and who are now routinely tested. So at the moment, yes, the jump to mammals is a concern and there are some changes, but that's not sufficient to change the risk profile for humans. Several countries in Europe are developing bird flu vaccines. However, Brown says this isn't always a good solution as the asymptomatic birds can still carry the virus, but no one can see it. When we come back from home swaps to dog walking, travelers are saving big on their accommodation costs. Vacationing is more expensive in the post-pandemic era, and some have found creative workarounds. And Jerusalem's Tower of David is open to the public once again after three years of renovations. We'll take you to see the $50 million revamp here on NTD News. Welcome back. As the world emerges from the pandemic, travelers are seeking creative ways to explore the world, and they found a cheaper alternative to pricey hotels. Let's take a look. Lillian Smith spent about eight of the last 12 months traveling around the world, visiting France, Morocco, Japan, and Korea. She figured out a solution that would save her money on accommodation costs. The way that housing works for me is that I use an app called Trusted House Sitters primarily to find houses that I can stay in for free. I could be just caring for a house or I could also be caring for a house and pets and plants um, or any variation in between. Through platforms like Trusted House Sitters, members can contact those who need simple chores done when their homes are vacant, like house sitting and dog walking. Yeah, I've saved over $11,000 in, in accommodation costs, and that's a very low estimate. Um, that's kind of based on roughly like $130 a night in accommodations, but that obviously can range depending on where you're staying. Smith said she has house sat in six countries. Data shows that the average daily rent for short-term rentals and in the U.S. rose by about 40% and 20%. That's compared to the same period in 2019. This trend is driving growth in the house sitting market. Some travelers are also turning to unlimited house swapping. U.S. company Home Exchange reported membership gains of more than 70% in the first quarter. Jerusalem's Tower of David is reopening its doors after three years of renovations. The revamp of the fortress cost $50 million. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. For centuries, pilgrims, conquerors, and tourists have passed beneath the Tower of David through the Jaffa Gate. After three years of renovations, the Tower of David Museum is open to the public once again. We invite the visitors to discover the secret of Jerusalem, how Jerusalem, a small city in the hills of Judea, became so important city for so many people from all over the world. The work features new exhibits, a restored minaret, and a new entrance to the old city. Byzantine, Crusader, Ottoman, and British artifacts dot the grounds and galleries of the museum. The citadel itself is an archaeological site, and it really serves like a time capsule that holds the whole history of Jerusalem. The overhaul also includes a new visitor center entrance, new galleries, and an educational space. We made the Tower of David Citadel a new gate to the city. 
because now you don't have to use any of the Ottoman gates. You can enter the citadel, enjoy the history, and go out to visit the old city. Yossi Vaknin is a conservationist with the Israeli Antiquities Authority. He worked on the restoration of the minaret on the grounds of the museum. In fact, this project, the project of preserving the minaret, the teams that worked on it, its physical history is the history of Jerusalem. It's who lives here. The changes that the buildings inevitably undergo as time progresses. The partnership of the people, and in the partnership of the people, it doesn't matter what background they are coming from. The Tower of David drew over half a million visitors in 2019, making it one of the city's most visited sites. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The modern Western diet consists of toxic seed oils, refined white wheat flour products, and loads of sugar. Eating like this can make you vitamin and nutrient deficient in no time. Let's look at some common deficiencies and how they may be reflected in the human body. Our body requires vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients in order to function well. Any kind of deficiency is a serious problem and should be treated without delay. The good news is, is that the human body is like a mirror. It reflects deficiencies with external symptoms. Nutrient deficiency symptoms are reflected in five important parts of the body. Let's get started by looking at the head. Hair loss is a sign of vitamin deficiency. Common deficiencies include folic acid, vitamin B5, vitamin B6, and essential fatty acids, EFAs. Dandruff problems indicate EFA, antioxidant, especially selenium, or B-complex deficiencies. Next, let's look at the face. Dark circles under the eyes can indicate low levels of quercetin and vitamin C. Acne is mostly caused by zinc, EFA and vitamin A deficiency and may be triggered by overconsumption of bad fatty acids like those present in fried oily food. Tooth decay is a sign of deficiency of vitamin B6 and minerals like boron, calcium and silica. Bleeding gums are a result of inadequate intake of vitamin C and bioflavonoids. Cracks at the corners of the mouth are a sign of deficiencies in B2 and other B-complex vitamins. Sore tongue may be a sign of B12, folic acid, iron and or zinc deficiency. A pale tongue may indicate low iron levels, so an iron test is recommended. Next, let's take a look at the skin. Dry skin is caused by deficiencies in EFAs, vitamin A and or vitamin E. Skin tags around the neck, arms, and back are a sign of glucose intolerance or reactive insulin levels. Easy bruising of the skin may indicate low levels of vitamins K, C, or E, and or bioflavonoids. Slow wound healing is a sign of deficiencies in vitamin A, vitamin C, zinc, and or EFAs. It may also indicate the presence of diabetes. Next, let's take a look at the hands and nails. Hangnails and cuticle inflammation may be a sign of zinc deficiency. Skin cracking at the tips of the fingers showcases deficiencies in zinc, vitamin E or EFAs. Cold hands are a sign of deficiencies in EFAs, niacin, vitamin B3, vitamin E, vitamin B12 or iron. Flat angle, spooning of the nails may be a result of iron deficiency. Rigid nails are caused by low levels of minerals. And finally, let's look at the feet. Nail abnormalities in the feet and toes similar to those found in hands, such as ridged nails, may indicate the same vitamin deficiencies. 
tingly feet with poor circulation are a sign of vitamin D3 deficiency. You may need to get more sunlight. Deficiencies of essential vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients are usually a result of poor dietary habits. This includes low intake of fruits and vegetables. If you can eat a balanced diet, you can easily prevent vitamin deficiencies. For example, eating more foods rich in vitamin E like almonds can help to overcome skin and hair hassles that are very common nowadays. If you have one or more of the symptoms we've discussed, consider discussing them with a healthcare provider. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to share any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. I'm Chris Beers, and you're watching NTD News, New York City. Mm -hmm.